Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As part of our inspiring TED Talk series, spotlighting can't-miss TED Talks and their key takeaways, today I explore Dr. Julia Milner's famous 2019 TED Talk, The Surprising Truth and How to Be a Great Leader. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I'm excited to be with you again today for our inspiring TED Talks series, where I'll be exploring Dr. Julia Milner's famous 2019 TED Talk, The Surprising Truth to How to Be a Great Leader. And spoiler alert, it's upending some of the conventional notions of what leadership means. And ultimately, I'll challenge you as you listen to her TED Talk and the principles that she shares and the insights she provides, I'll challenge you to be critically self-reflective about your own styles and try to find ways where perhaps you're falling into the trap of an old school mentality around leadership and what you can do to develop the skills, the competencies and the capabilities of the 21st century leader who can lead the organizations of tomorrow. I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip. So the other day I was in the classroom. I work as a professor in leadership. And during one of the breaks, um, a student came to me and we had a conversation. So he's a bright student, great social skills, and he already works as an engineer. So we talked about his career, and I said, well, why don't you go for that leadership position? And he looked at me and said, no, I could possibly not do that. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, look, there are different team members in my team, and each one of them is is an expert in their own area, and I could not be the expert of all of these people. I would not be able to have the solution for everything, provide an answer for everything. And it occurred to me at that point that this is an assumption that a lot of people actually have. A lot of leaders have and a lot of future leaders have. That you have to be the expert and that you have to be able to give advice for everything. So today, I would like to show you that actually it's more often than not better to not give advice. And I would like to show you an alternative and show you what we know about learning that alternative. Her encounter with her student 
is pretty typical. I think a lot of people, both leaders and lower level and line employees alike, often consider leadership that same way, that the leader is supposed to be the expert. The leader is the one that anyone on their team can come to for answers. If there's a problem, they're the fixers. They're the one that's going to put out the fires. That's a very common mentality, and it's a very common approach, and it's super unfortunate because, frankly, it's it leads to poor leadership. Uh, a good leader is not one that is an expert in every area. A good leader is not someone who has answers for everything. Nobody has answers for everything or is an expert in everything. It's a mirage. That's It's a complete facade. It just doesn't exist. And so when leaders portray themselves that way, all it does is harm their people and their teams and their overall performance and productivity, and it undermines the expertise of their team. What leaders need to do is they need to pull out the expertise of their people. They need to empower their people to be problem solvers and decision makers within their own sphere of influence and expertise. A good leader is a good collaborator. A good leader is a good coach and a good mentor. And so that's what she's going to be talking about as alternatives to this classic and, shall I say, faulty approach to leadership. So if we think about a maybe like a common topic. So I was, I was talking to my friend on the phone and to illustrate you why advice giving does not work. So she was um, saying to me, oh, you know, I'm really unhappy that my boyfriend does not spend enough time with me. Me, trying to be a good friend, what do I do? I, I think about solutions. So I say to her, well, why don't you have a conversation with him? And she started to play with me what I call the yes, but game. And I'm sure you've all played it before. So it goes like this, me, why don't you have a conversation with him? Yes, but that would be too difficult of a conversation to have. Okay, and why don't you write him a WhatsApp? Yes, but that would be too impersonal. To be honest, I was really trying hard at this point not to go, you know what, he's an idiot, you should just see other people. But no, I followed on, you know, and we were yes-butting for oh, at least one and a half hours. And afterwards, she was frustrated, I was frustrated, and there was no solution. So yes-but is a common response to receiving advice. Why is that? Well. It's somebody talking about our life and, you know, they're not the expert of our situation. So they come up with what they think is best at that, at that point in time. And it often doesn't match. And for leaders, you know, you might not get headbutted or yes-butted in the face, like my friend did to me. But you might, uh, you know, they might not follow through with your advice, or they might just say afterwards, oh, you know, that advice that we get from that leader is always so bad. So we need to resist the tendency to just offer advice and offer solutions to the problems that our people bring to us. It's, I suppose, natural that subordinates are going to look towards their leader, uh, who's been very successful and someone who does have expertise. If they have a problem, they're going to take it to them. Uh, especially if we don't have a culture developed where we empower our people to solve their own problems. 
if they're worried about how we're going to respond if they mess up, and if they don't have a good solution to their own problem, then them coming to us is kind of a way of being able to outsource their own accountability. And that's not effective for them or for us. And a lot of times what happens, as she was describing, when we try to give advice, even when it's well-intended, is that ultimately we don't know everything. We're not experts in that area. And even our best intentions can lead to advice that's ultimately going to fall flat. And even if we're right, it, it, so it doesn't actually matter whether we're right or not. Even if we're right, the fact that we're the one giving the advice means that the likelihood of them buying into what we are suggesting and actually doing it is much smaller than if we just coach them towards a solution where they uncover their own solution. And over time, as we train our people to think that way, to think about asking themselves thoughtful questions about how to deal with difficult challenges, over time they'll be more capable of addressing the challenges that they face. So we need to resist the urge to give advice, uh, particularly in friendships and in partnerships and marriage and such, um, but even in the workplace. It just usually doesn't work that well and you end up with passive aggressive responses or people just ignoring the advice you give and all of the other unhealthy group dynamics that can then emerge from that situation. So what alternative do we have then if we should not give advice? What can leaders do to still help team members? What is next? Well, let's go back for a moment to our engineer. So he was saying, okay, he has different team members and each one of them is an expert in their own area. So it would make sense to find a technique, to find a solution that actually helps him draw out the best in all of these experts that are there. And in the context of leadership, we call this leadership coaching. And it means Instead of teaching people, you're helping them to learn. You're helping them to arrive at their own solution that fits best with their situation. So maybe let me illustrate that to you, how that could look like. So let's say um, this part of the room, you're going to be my advice givers. You look very serious, like advice givers. And this part of the room, you're going to be my coaches, okay? Let's use a, a common topic, let's just say, um, let's assume at the moment I'm eating a lot of chocolate, and in a few months' time, I, uh, I might want to get back in shape. So what would the advice givers do? So you probably would say, well, why don't you just stop eating chocolate right now? It's a very bad advice to give to a pregnant woman, okay? So don't mess, don't mess with the chocolate there. <laughs> But no, let's be fair enough. We're talking about a few months ahead, a few months in time. And you say to me, okay, well, let's just try it with a classical diet. What great diets are out there? Let's just take the um, cabbage soup diet. Everyone loves the cabbage soup diet. So what would you do? You advice givers? So you would say, okay, at 8 a.m. you can have cabbage soup. At 11 a.m., you can have cabbage soup. And guess what you can have at 1 p.m.? Cabbage soup. I can guarantee you that by 3 p.m., I will have killed my husband, killed the cabbage, and stopped the whole approach of getting fit again. 
Now, let's go to you, my coaches. So, what would you do? So you would try to let me reflect about my situation and come up with an answer that would fit best with my life. So you might start asking me some questions. So, Julia, tell us, when do you most often eat chocolate? Or what is your motivation in getting fit again? What is maybe a small step you could already do? What fits in with your current schedule? What could work for you? So you can see the differences here with the advice givers. You give me a direction that you think could work, maybe had worked for some crazy person, I don't know. And here on this side, you let me reflect and really walk through. So the alternative to advice giving is leadership coaching. As I had already mentioned after a previous clip, one of the first things we should do as a leader is start to foster an environment and create a culture where people feel empowered to solve their own problems, where they can come to their own solutions, and where we will support them in that, even if and when they don't always work out so great. Because if people are always looking towards us to drive the solutions in the organization, one head is never as good as, say, five or ten, or however many people you have reporting to you. We need the collective creativity of everyone, the collective innovation of everybody, and we simply just don't have the expertise in every single area that each of our people represent. So instead of trying to give advice, we need to make sure that we are empowering people and coaching them towards coming to their own solutions. And so I like her little example here uh, about the diet. And how likely do you think it would be to take the advice of someone telling you how to get fit and lose weight and how to diet? The reality is we want to drive our own solutions and as well intended as someone might be, if they tried to give us that advice, it's just not going to stick. It just won't. And so if we want people to buy in to solutions to problems, we can coach them, we can, we can help guide them towards solutions that ultimately they get to come to. So the research actually backs up this approach. So if we go back to the leadership context and leadership coaching, studies have shown that benefits are associated with that approach. So for example, it can lead to more engagement, higher productivity. It can even increase customer relationships. So Google did an internal study and they wanted to find out what makes an effective manager. And on top of that list came being a good coach. Now, we solved everything, right? It's easy. Everyone just coaches now, and then we're done. Well, of course, it is not that easy. Um, because if we look at what we know about learning that skill set of coaching, it actually gets a little bit trickier. So. Um, we wanted to replicate a common instruction that at the moment exists in organizations. So in organizations, at the moment, leaders are being told, just coach with any further you know, help in how to do that. 
And I noticed this because through my work as a management consultant, working with different organizations and helping with their leadership, that this direction of just coach is a trend that has been picked up and is just left there. Now, we said, okay, let's, let's do a research project around this and let's figure out what happens if you just say, just coach to someone. So we put a group of participants in a room and we said, all right, we're going to have some coaching conversations, just short ones, maybe five minutes, and we're going to videotape those conversations and let's see what happens. So they're, they're having the conversations and afterwards we said, okay, how was that? And the coach said, yeah, I think that was, that was good coaching. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, what do you think about your colleague over there? Yeah, that was, that was okay. That was, that was good coaching. Some coaches were saying, oh, you know what? I had such a difficult partner there. You know, I was coming up with all of these great ideas and great solutions, and they were basically just, yes, butting me there. So she started out that segment by talking about some of the great outcomes that we can get from meaningful leadership coaching. And the research bears it out. When you create that kind of a coaching environment and people can have the autonomy to address their own problems and come up with their own solutions and try to innovate within their own work, that drives engagement, higher performance, better customer relationships, higher levels of organizational commitment, and on and on and on and on. There are just so many positive outcomes that arise from taking that kind of an approach. And so then she started to go into talking about, well, what do we do when we're trying to help people coach? And if we say just coach without any other support, then some less effective things start to happen. And so that's where she's at right now. Okay. Well, when we actually looked closer, what we saw was what we call motivational micromanaging. And motivational micromanaging looks like this. So when my husband and I, I go out to restaurants, we usually like to share desserts. He always asks me, who is this royal we? But no, no, we like it, we do. So um, when we you know, are in that restaurant, I could just ask him, what would you like to have for dessert today? But I'm not doing that. If I'm motivational micromanaging, I say something like this. Don't you think that that chocolate cake over there looks like the best dessert in the whole restaurant? Don't you think we should get it? Not much option there. <laughs> and that was similar to what we've seen in those first videos with the coaches. They were motivational micromanaging. So they were still giving advice, just with a little bit more motivation behind it. So we then said, okay, let's leave it at that. We're going to put you through some training. We're going to show you how to draw out the best in other people. We're going to show you how to let other people arrive at their own solution. So we worked on different coaching techniques and different skill sets and really practiced that also a lot. And then we said, okay, let's have another videotaped coaching conversation and then we can compare. And what we found was quite astonishing because, firstly, the coaches were able to say, you know what, when I really look now back in what I did in this first video, that was not coaching. I was just giving advice. And especially those coaches who were saying, oh, 
I had a difficult partner. They were just not taking on board, you know, my, my great ideas. They were saying, hmm, it's actually quite astonishing that everything is already there. All I had to do is provide the space and the room to let them reflect, to let them think it through and then arrive, you know, at a plan on how to implement it. And I'm now much more convinced that they will actually put it into practice and put it into action. Yes, motivational micromanaging. I love that term. Such a good concept, and it really illustrates well what's going on when you're basically moving towards another form of just advice giving. And so while it's better, you know, than going straight full on into solution providing and advice giving, when you're motivational uh, micromanaging, it's, it's manipulative and it's not really truly coaching. The problem with it is it, it sounds more like coaching. It seems more like coaching. And so people don't always recognize when they're doing it. And so well-intentioned individuals who understand that, yes, I shouldn't be advice giving. I shouldn't just be uh, trying to, to tell other people what to do. I need to let them come to their own solution. They, they can't always see it in themselves. And so we have to coach our people to be able to see that kind of motivational micromanaging help them diagnose it as just another form of advice giving and ultimately practice critical self-reflection in a way that they're going to be able to be more aware and see that that's, that sort of activity is, is happening. They can see what they're doing. And as she say, said in her example, when people just have a chance to observe their own coaching, so just recording and giving them a chance to watch it and reflect on it, that's a powerful tool. It's very simple, and it can help get people closer to where you want to be in terms of meaningful leadership coaching and getting away from motivational micromanaging. So what have we learned from all of this? Number one, Giving advice is not often the best way to go, and you do not need to be the expert for everything. Number two, you should, however, consider becoming an expert in helping other people draw out the best solution and helping them arrive at their own answer. Number three, it's a skill set that can be learned, but it also has to be learned and trained. And it will much more likely lead to higher engagement and to a more successful implementation of the solution. And it also increases the probability of not receiving an answer of yes, but. Thank you. At the end of the day, the expertise that we need to have as leaders is in being expert facilitators, expert coaches, expert mentors. We need to learn how to draw out the great potential within each of our people. We need to learn how to lean on their expertise, help them to develop confidence in their own expertise, and help them learn the skills of problem solving, decision making, and ultimately help them to become innovators in and of themselves. 
So of course we can collaborate as a team. Of course we can provide a vision and we can help to drive uh, and facilitate the, the team innovations. But we can't drive everything and we have to be able to meaningfully delegate and we have to allow and empire, empower people in our teams to, to lean on their own expertise and to do what they do so well. I really enjoyed this TED Talk. I hope you did too. I think there's a lot of really great insights here. Thank you for joining me today. And as always, I hope you stay healthy and safe. I hope you find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.